Isn't it powerful? Reckless love that he has for us. I tell you, I, I love our time of worship here this morning. I love, I love our time of worship every morning. Uh, every time we have an opportunity to gather in this place and, uh, and just come together in spirit and truth and worship God and, and just spend time together uh, lifting up our voices in song, lifting up our praises to Him, adorations, hearing testimonies like we just heard, turning to God's Word for truth, and comfort, peace i tell you it's truly remarkable to be able to gather together and i'll tell you I, there's nothing greater than than gathering together with your faith family on sunday morning i i love it and i hope you do as well uh, a lot of exciting things happening around here over the last couple of weeks as we gear up for the fall and school's getting ready to kick back off and uh it just seems like uh once school kicks off we we sort of get back into the routine of life and and summer's over and for some of us, we rejoice, and others, we just get kind of discouraged by that reality, uh, but, but fall is here, and it's quickly approaching, and things are getting back to normal, and around here, we, we as a staff have been talking a lot about uh, just what we've seen God do in this place, and, and what we're expecting God to continue to do in this place, and among us as a faith family, we've seen so much life change. When we ask the question, what does it mean to be free, we immediately begin to think of the work of Jesus on the cross. We think of his sacrifice that he made when he died on the cross, and it was there that his blood was spilled. And we begin to think about things like uh, his blood being the atonement of our sin, that we have forgiveness because of the death of Christ, and the we have life because of the resurrection of Christ. And we begin to think about the work of the cross. We begin to think about Jesus, we know that not only did he pray, pay the price for our sin, but that by God's grace and by our faith in Christ Jesus, we also have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit which dwells within us. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And, and so this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that we recognize as very real in our life, and we're very encouraged by the indwelling spirit of God that, that lives within us. We, we desire that. We want that because it's so encouraging to us and, and we are led by the spirit and we are convicted by the spirit. We just recognize God's presence because of the spirit of God within us. And so we begin to think about these sorts of things. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at sin or issues or whatever you want to call it, sin, that impacts our culture today. The reason we look at this is because we want to understand the, the type of sin that, that uh, is, is running rampant in our world today and, and sometimes in our churches these days is something that we need to take a look at because as we think about what Christ has done for us and being set free in Christ Jesus, this freedom that we have in Christ, we obviously want to go to God and we want to pursue God and we want to evaluate our lives concerning God and if there's any sin in our life we want to turn away from that we want to pursue instead purity and holiness and righteousness that is found in Christ Jesus we want to begin to take on the image of Christ rather than the image of the world we want to be different as believers in Christ Jesus and so these are the things that we begin to talk about and and talking about sin can be uncomfortable I get that nobody likes to talk about sin really I mean we'd rather you know, sing our praises and celebrations to Jesus and, and really not go there, but it's so necessary in our life to 
to talk about this. And let me just say this. There's really not much else that, that, that makes God look more glorious than when we begin to look at the nastiness of sin. You see, when we look at sin, when we begin to look at the dirtiness and the, the nastiness of sin, what we see is most beautiful in our life is that which is totally opposite of sin, and that is God. And so we begin to look at God, and we begin to see God as glorious and radiant and beautiful and awesome and, and all these things, all the things that sin is not, and we begin to understand that. So we've been looking at these different sins and, and seeing how they affect us in our life and how we can be warned to stay away from those particular things or move away from them or repent from those things, whatever it is that we need to do. And so that's what this series is about. It's about finding freedom in Christ Jesus. And because sin is uncomfortable to talk about, sometimes we just don't want to. I remember years ago, I was preaching a revival, and uh, I was about the third night of the revival, and a lady came up to me, and she says, Preacher, she said, I brought a friend today. And I said, well, great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought a friend. I didn't know this lady. I didn't know many people in the church. I was just there in, on an invitation to preach the revival. And she says, I brought a friend, and she's in real need of encouragement today. And I said, okay, well, that's awesome. I said, well, I don't know of a better place you can find encouragement than in the church. I mean, I hope she finds encouragement being here. And she continues. She says, well, what exactly are you preaching on tonight? And then I saw exactly where she was going with this. She was... She was concerned that maybe her friend might be offended by the talk of sin or something like that. And so uh, having my suspicions that that's what she was talking about, I said, well, I'll tell you my three major points tonight are going to be damnation, fire, and brimstone. <laughs> I didn't say that to her. But what I did say, what I did say is I'm going to be preaching Jesus. And I can't think of anything else more encouraging to anyone than Jesus that which makes Jesus look really good look really beautiful is what he has done to sin on our behalf amen amen so that's why we're looking at this series we're it's, it's not a series just about sin it's a series more about Jesus and so this morning we're going to be looking at an issue or a topic or a sin that that we need to understand a lot about. There's probably not another issue that's probably more relevant to talk about uh, for all of us. And in fact, all of us here uh, today probably wrestle with this in some way or another. Uh, I, I think a lot of times we try to place uh, judgments on sin. We, we say, well, this sin is, you know, right here, and then this sin, oh my gosh, I mean, I would never do that. So we try to sort of put these sort of, um, these sort of levels on sin, but but this is a sin that quite honestly affects every single one of us in this room and certainly has the potential to do great harm in our life. And so I think it's one that we need to be talking about here this morning as we think about the things that affect our culture today and also have a potential of affecting our church. This morning I want to preach on abstaining from sexual immorality. It's a big one, I know. And I know it's one that is sort of taboo. I mean, anytime you start talking about sexual immorality or you start talking about the opposite of that, which would be purity, it, it, it's sort of taboo. Nobody really wants to talk about it. You, we, we all sort of know it exists, but we don't want to go there. But in, the re, in, in reality, this, this title that I've just given you, abstaining from sexual immorality, is not words of my own. This isn't me crafting some sort of uh, lofty title for our sermon. This is coming straight out of God's Word this morning. 
And I can't think of a better place than to, as we talk about sin and the glorious nature and work of Christ Jesus, than to go to God's Word. And so this one comes straight out of God's Word here this morning. Today's uh, Word uh, could be the very thing that saves your life. Looking at this passage today could be the very thing that saves your life, that saves your soul. And so it's so important that we look at these issues, and so that's what we intend to do this morning. I want to show you something before we really dive into that, because I think this is, is so important. This is so important for us. Listen to the Word of God, what the Word of God has to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Before we get into this, looking at this issue of, of sexual purity, uh, the Word of God says this, says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, and that's what we are, right? That's what we are. We're, we're only on this earth for a short time, amen? That we have all of eternity waiting for us, and so we are just sojourners on this earth. And so the Word of God says this, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh and wage, which wage war against your soul I think so often in our life as we think about sin uh, we, we find ourselves we, we find ourselves blaming sin on the devil and taking all the credit for all the good things that happen in our life right oh I did this I did that it's looking really good oh sin yeah the devil, devil made me do it you know but what first Peter sort of brings out is a lot of the sin that exists in our life is is maybe stemming from the temptation of one who seeks to kill and destroy but it really is a passion of the flesh and that's what sexual immorality is it's a it's a passion of the flesh and so here's what Peter has to say here's what the Word of God has to say in first Peter 2 it says it says abstain from the passions of the flesh and this is important that we understand use this as a springboard into the message here this morning which wages war against your soul if there's anything out there that would destroy your life that would be out there as a potential harm to your soul wouldn't you want to know about it wouldn't you want to know about it I would I would want to know what is potentially harmful to me not just as a as a man physically but but spiritually as a man of God and so it's important that we think about these things and so as we look at the battle of sexual immorality if we look at you know the, the need to pursue sexual purity we understand that there's an enemy who hopes to destroy us, but who the better source to go to, who the better source to turn to in determining what is right or wrong regarding sex? How about this? How about the one who designed it and created it and instituted it? How about turning to God for those answers? And so we must turn to God for those answers. We must look to him as the one who who created it who designed it the one who thought this up in his infinite creativity and he instituted it through marriage there is nobody who knows more about nor cares more about your sexuality than God himself than God himself and so this morning we're going to be diving into this passage now I understand also understand that a lot all of us here today have a past we have a past Okay, and I know a lot of times the things that we're wrestling with with our concerning our past is guilt over things in our life. We we wrestle with our past a lot, and a lot of times it keeps us from moving forward in our future because we 
we just can't get our minds off of maybe some of the things that we've done in our past. Our past is, is weighing us down, and, and there's so much guilt. But let me just say this this morning also, before we dive into the text, that none of us, none of us in this room can go back and make a brand new start. But all of us in this room can start making a brand new ending to our life. Amen? Every one of us have the opportunity and the ability to look ahead and allow today to be a day where we change everything, where we no longer live in fear. We were singing about that a while ago, weren't we? No longer living in fear, no longer living in guilt, because through Christ Jesus, we have the ability to overcome all of those things. But what we do instead is we look to the future and we begin today working for a new ending. And that is so important for us to understand. So let's turn to our text this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where we're going this morning, New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're looking at verses uh, 1 through 8. And, um, and, and as we prepare to read this, I just want to say this. And, and this, is, this is just so important for us to understand. Never mind, I'll save it for later. I'll come back to it. But 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, abstaining from sexual immorality. And like I said, this, this passage comes straight, or this title comes straight from the passage we're about to look at. Now, if you're thinking here this morning as we get ready to dive into this issue that, that we're living in a culture, we're living in a very sexually charged culture in 2017, you would be right, Okay. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, right? I mean, it's, it's in everything we do. It's in, I mean, everything we get from Hollywood, everything we get from social media. I mean, everything. It's just all around us. Sexual immorality is a part of our culture today, and it just seems as though we're living in such a sexually charged culture in 2017. But with all that being said, let me just also say that we have nothing on the Thessalonians, okay? If you go back and you study the Thessalonians, you begin to realize that sexual immorality was not just the norm, but it, and it was not just accepted, it was not just tolerated, but it was actually encouraged, okay? And what we begin to see also is that in Thessalonica, there was almost absolutely zero Christian influence in the city. Oftentimes, the, there, there, would be, there would be talk and writings of, of, of orgies taking place and all the sexual immorality. In fact, the gods that many of the Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians worshipped it was often uh, in, sort of infused with, with prostitution and other things that would take place. I mean, they would go to worship God and then they would uh, hook up with, with prostitutes there in the temple, in the temple. And so it was not just something that was sort of you know, a, 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 a cultural thing of their day, it was something that was highly encouraged to be sexual, uh, uh, sexually immoral, uh, to embrace sexual immorality. And so, so what Paul is doing is he's writing, speaking into that. Now remember, you have believers that are gathering in this place and it's very important for them to understand not to embrace the ways of the world, not to embrace the, the culturally accepted things but to think about, we talked a lot about this last week, our identity in Christ Jesus, which is not to become, take on the image of the world, is it? It's not to take on the image of the world, but rather it's to take on the image of Christ Jesus. And so he's writing to them, and he's speaking into them, and he's saying, listen, these are the things you need to know about sexual purity, and he's going to really be pushing this. And so we, we begin to see this in this passage as we, as we read into this. So Paul's writing, he says this. 
He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us what you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more, you do so more and more. So let me just, let me just stop right there with verse one for just a moment. What Paul's saying here as he's writing this, he's saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm urging you, I'm begging you to think about Jesus Christ and the pursuit that you have for him and the reality that you are to take on his image. And then he says this, he says, as you walk and please God. And then he says this, he says, just as you're doing, but then he brings this up. He says, but you are to do so even more and more. And so there's a sense of, of teaching coming from God's word that says that yes, although we have found freedom in Christ Jesus, we are to pursue the righteousness of Christ. We are to pursue the holiness of God, that we are to pursue all those things that are good for us to pursue the righteousness of Christ, rejecting at the same time the ways of the world, the worldliness. And then he goes on to verse two here, and he says this. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity or for impurity, but in holiness, therefore, Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. All right, so this morning, here's what I want to do. Typically, I start off with the, the beginning of the passage, and we just kind of walk through each verse. But this morning, I want to take us dead center of this passage. I want to take us dead center because I believe what we see in verse 3 is probably the, 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 the center or, the, uh, or, or the, the most profound place that we could start today because everything before verse 3 and everything after verse 3 really center around this one truth that we see in scripture so look at this with me if you will verse 3 it says this for this is the will of God let me ask you a question here this morning faith family how many of you have ever wondered what God's will for your life is anybody raise your hand don't be shy raise your hand if you ever okay so that's about 20 of us you got to be kidding me, right? Is it just that you're, you're scared to raise your hand? I mean, you know, is, is it because you don't like this interactive sort of preaching style that I do? here? You know, I mean, the reality is I believe, I believe that, that every one of us here, here at some time or another has wondered what God's will for our life is. And so don't lie this time. How many of you have ever wondered what God's will for your life is? Raise your hand. All right, all right. Some of them are clapping just to make sure. Uh, see me, Pastor David. I don't, you know, I'm not lying. I'm, I'm not rejecting what you're saying there. But we all do that, don't we? We all, I mean, I hear this from every believer, from the, from the spiritual babe to the most mature of all believers. Typically, we hear it something like this. I believe God's will for my life is to be a missionary. Or I hear God's will for my life is to be, you know, a teacher or, or whatever. We, we say the, that sort of thing all the time, okay? And I believe that's an important element of God's will for our life. I believe that oftentimes God is calling us to specific, 
very unique things that may differ from other people. And so as we go through life, as we grow and mature as a believer, oftentimes God sets us apart for different things. But here's what I want us to see here this morning because this is so hugely important as we think about what the Word of God has to say concerning God's will this morning. It says this, for this is the will of God. Now listen to this, your sanctification. Do you see that? Your sanctification. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then it goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, sanctification, it literally means to set, be set apart for holiness. To be set apart for holiness. And here's what I think that statement is really trying to speak into our lives this morning. Think about this for just a moment. Listen to this. It is so important that we understand. No matter what we do, whether we're a missionary, a preacher, a teacher, a doctor, it doesn't matter, doing all those things for the glory of God, here's the thing that I think this is trying to help us to understand, that our sanctification is the primary reason that we've been placed on this earth. We have been placed on this earth to be made holy, and all those things that we think that God may be calling us to do are a whole lot less important than what God wants to create in us, what he wants us to be. We can't be those things the way God intended for us to be those things aside from taking on the image of Christ. Other side, we're out, otherwise, we're outside of the, the will of God. And so sanctification literally means that we are set apart for what? For holiness, this pursuit of, of holiness and righteousness. We've been set apart. In other words, sanctification means that we are to look different than the world. We are to look different than worldliness. We are to look different because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, we have been saved through faith in Jesus. And so we begin to take on the identity of Jesus and no longer are we called to look uh, like the world. And so here, starting in verse 3, and this is, the, this is the center of this entire passage, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual Purity. Now, here's the, what I want to say. I don't, believe that, I don't believe that our sanctification is the totality of God's will. I don't believe that it's the totality. There's many things God has, has willed upon our life. But I do believe this. When we refuse to care about our sanctification, when we refuse to embrace being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, when we refuse to, uh, to engage in our sanctification then I believe that oftentimes the rest of everything else God has for us is closed off. You see, here's the thing. As we look into, into scriptures about sanctification, we begin to realize that there are two things that really center around us being sanctified. One is the love of God. The other is the love of purity. That's it. That's it. You see, Jesus himself, he says, he says this. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, right? He says, love God above everything else. He even goes as far as saying, this is the first and great commandment. Then he goes on to say this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so we begin to, to understand that to be sanctified, it begins with a, us loving God. And, 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 and by God's grace, we've been saved. And we can thus love him because he first loved us. And so loving God with everything we is, is really one of the primary elements of our sanctification. But also pursuing God or pursuing 
Holiness over worldliness is the other element of our sanctification. And so we see here where the Word of God says, you want to know the will of God. The will of God is sanctification. Jesus didn't necessarily come here to make us happy. He came here to make us holy. He died on the cross to make you holy. He died on the cross that through his redemption, you would be set apart and different than the rest of the world. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Not so you could frolic in the meadow for the rest of your life, whatever that might mean. I remember hearing that term, and I, never mind, I'm not going to tell you what I picture. But anyway, <laughs> frolic in the meadow. No, he came to make us holy. The work of Christ on the cross, everything he accomplished on the cross was done that we may one day stand in the presence of a God who allows no sin in his, in his presence. He came and died on the cross that we would find forgiveness for our sins, therefore being cleansed white as snow and being able to stand in the presence of God and live in the presence of God and worship in the presence of God for an eternity. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. So here we see the will for God is your sanctification. But why these two, that he goes on, he goes on to say this. You know, he, he says, love of God, that's easy, but why, why does he touch on sexual immorality? Why is it that abstaining from sexual immorality is, 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 is so important concerning purity? There, there, after all, there's a lot of different sins, right? There's a lot of different ways we could sin. I believe it's because love of God and the love that God has for us, we were just singing about God's reckless love for us. The love of God that he has for us and our love for him, you know, love God, love people, that whole thing, that is, that is one of the most important things that we can understand. And then what we also need to understand is that sexual immorality, it demonstrates lovelessness more than anything else. Because for us to embrace sexual immorality, that is anything outside of God's biblical design for sex. Anything outside of that says to God, I don't love you, I love my flesh more. And I think that's why. So let's look at this. Let's dive into this passage here. There's really two major points that this passage is making for us. Two major things that, that this passage is pointing to. And, and I'm going to hurry through them because, man, we just don't have enough time. But the first one is this to reject sexual immorality with self-control. Now, here's the thing. We know this. We, we know that overcoming sin on our own is impossible, right? We know that. We know that we need Jesus. And, and oftentimes, as we think about any kind of sin in our life, we often say, Jesus, help me overcome this sin. We know that we need Jesus to help us overcome sin. But the reality is, because of the work of Christ in our life, and because of the fact that even when he was leaving his disciples, he said, I'm sending you a helper, we also know as believers in Christ Jesus that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, right? And in that indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, the, the indwelling that we have, we have been given not only redemption or forgiveness of sins, but we have also been given the power of self-control. In fact, Galatians 5 talks about 
one, all these fruits of the Spirit. These are the, the fruits of the Spirit. These are evidences of your salvation. These are things that exist in your life. These are things that have been given to you as a gift from the Holy Spirit. And one of those things is self-control. And so here in the text, we, we read this in verse 3. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he says this in verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. One of the most beautiful truths for the Christian is that we have been given the power of self-control. We have the ability to resist sin. Proverbs 25, 28 gives us a bit of a warning that if we were to ignore self-control, he says, a man without self-control is like a city broken in two and left without walls. And we don't want to be that. That does not want to, we do not want that to be the image of our life, do we? That's not who we are called to be. We don't, we don't want to be uh, that in our life. And so, so we, we need to understand the reality that the Word of God teaches us that we have been given power to overcome sin, even, even though that power comes from Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we've been given power to do something about the sin in our life. And I hear all the time, I hear this all the time, I've even said it myself, I hear all the time, well, it's just too great to overcome, I can't do it. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried this, this, this sin in my life, I've, I've tried to give it up, I can't give it up, I can't give it up, I just can't move away from it. And when we begin to say, I can't, you know what that means? It, it means that we have basically said there's another master in my life that's greater than you, Jesus. There's another master in my life that is greater than you. Because you see, the Word of God says that if, as believers in Christ Jesus, Christ sent someone that would indwell within us as believers, the Holy Spirit, and he has given us power to overcome sin. And so we don't, we don't even need to go there, do we? I can't. We can't. We, we just can't. Get, Hey, wait a minute. I can't use I can't, right? I should, yeah. That's, that's weird. I can't use it. I can't go there, can I? Because it's untruth. As believers in Christ Jesus, we have been given the power to overcome the sin in our life. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our, within us is to convict us when there's sin present in our life. He reveals it to us. He says, hey, Dave, there's sin in your life. And, and, and so I look at that, and certainly I turn to Jesus. Certainly I turn to Jesus and, and repent of the sin in my life. And certainly I turn away. But there's an element of self-control that also is there that says, God, I'm going to do away with the idols in my life. I'm not going to allow this to be an idol in my life. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to turn away because you've given me the power to walk away from it. And that will not be an idol over me. That will not be a master over me. You are my master. You are my Lord and my Savior. You know, the final words, and we're, we're not done. We've got another hour and 20 minutes to go. But um, <laughs> golly, how do I run out of time? So, um, the final words of this passage, though, say this in verse 7. It says, for God has not called us to impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you please let us walk away from here this this morning understanding that we are not walking this walk alone that we are not battling this sin together we have the spirit of god indwelling within us to help us overcome not just sexual immorality but every sin in our life okay 
Let us walk away knowing that we have been given the greatest gift that we could ever be given. The second major point here being made in this passage is this, and this is a biggie now. This is one that we need to understand, that sexual immorality is never safe. It's never safe. And I believe that's what, that's what this passage is teaching us here this morning. Sexual immorality of any kind is never safe. It says here, and I believe this is why we see such strong warnings concerning sexual immorality. Read any passage in all of Scripture concerning sexual immorality, and we will see strong warnings associated with that. So why is that? Why such strong warnings that are given to us? Uh, we, we read this in verse 3. It says, For the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of us who know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, just like the Gentiles, look at this, who do not know God, but we do know God, amen? But we do know God. Who do not know God, look at verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as you were told beforehand and solemnly warned you. One of the things that we need to realize is that these warnings that found in God's word dealing with not only sexual immorality but all sin, the, the reason we have warnings, I believe, is not that God would scare us to death as we think about his wrath. I don't think that's God's intention. I believe it's because he loves us so unconditionally that he wants the very best for us. Amen? I believe that the reason we see warnings in Scripture is because God is trying to say, this is harmful for you. You ever had a small child around a dog that walks into the room? You know, most children, especially little children, they're scared to death of a dog, especially big dogs. They walk in, big old German Shepherd, Rottweiler, walk in the room. And, and it happened in my, in my life, raising two children. It's happening now with grandchildren. But, but the reality is I can be standing around and a, a dog, even a puppy, can walk, you know, a little puppy just wants to be pet, you know, comes to the room. And what does a child do? They turn and they dash towards safety, right? They dash and they jump in the arms and they're, they're like, no, 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 I don't want anything. And even when you kneel down beside a puppy, say, oh, it's a good puppy, and you try to get the kid there, they, they don't, you know, they're scared. They want to be in the daddy's arms. I believe that the warnings that we've, give, that we've been given in Scripture and God's Word, the reason that we see such profound warnings all through Scripture is because God wants us to turn and run into His arms rather than to fall victim to the things of this world. Sexual immorality. It is never safe. Here's the thing about sexual immorality. I'm going to have to close it out. But sexual immorality replaces God's designed intimacy with a cheap, damaging, selfish substitute. God designed sexual intimacy one way. And anything outside of that is just a cheap, selfish substitute. And it's harmful. Don't just take my word for it. Ask any policeman who deals with rape and sexual battery. Ask any doctor who deals with patients on a daily basis as a result of sexual immorality. Ask any lawyer. It's harmful. And so God's Word teaches us to run from it. 
God's Word teaches us to reject it. God's Word teaches us instead to run to Him, not because of rules and regulation and legalism and all those things, but because we love Him so greatly that we want to be sanctified. We want to be set apart for holiness, understanding that loving God and loving loving purity are the two elements of our sanctification. So how do we do it? Because it's hard, right? How do we do it? How do we deal with it? How do we overcome it? How do we overcome sexual immorality in our life? How do we how do we overcome any sin in our life? How do we how do we care more about our sanctification? How do we get to a place where we want to embrace our sanctification and, and allow God to do the work that He wants to do in our heart? How do we implement more self-control in our life? How do we do that? How can we be more like Jesus when it comes to self-control? Saying no. Pursuing the things of God. How, how do we... How do we do this? How do we, after heeding the warnings that we see in Scripture, reject sexual immorality altogether? How do we do it? Because we wrestle, and we wrestle, and we wrestle. And we feel like saying, I can't overcome it. I can't get over it. We wrestle and we wrestle with this issue. How do we do it? How do we overcome it? You know, I think the problem is is that so often we set our sights on the finish line. When we try to overcome any sin in our life, we sort of look at sin as this big mountain that exists in our life and and all we do is focus on the, the finish line, getting to the top, getting to the, to the finish line. And we, we don't worry so much about taking step by step. Several years ago, I was backpacking with one of my son-in-laws. And we had gone on some very strenuous hikes. And we had very heavy packs. And we'd gone down in this valley not knowing that the return trip was straight up. you know. And it was, it was challenging. It was hard. And I remember being the fact that he's much younger than I am and, and much lighter than I am and, and just in better shape than I am, he was leaving me behind. I mean, I, I was setting my pace. I was doing the best I could. I was going as far hard as I could, and he would leave me, and he was gracious enough that after he got sort of ahead of me, he would stop, and he would enjoy the, the birds and the view and the you know, the, the, the wilderness, and he, he would allow me to catch up, and I'd get there, and, and it, it never failed. I'd catch up. As soon as I got there, I was like, oh, thank you for waiting. He'd turn around and start walking again, you know, and he always stayed ahead of me, and this happened over and over and over till finally I got to him, and I was, I was so frustrated that I, I was slowing him down. I was so frustrated that, that I couldn't keep up. I was I was getting a little bit angry with myself, and I, I just felt bad that he was having to wait on me, and and, and so as this continued, I, I finally got to him, and I said, man, I said, I can't keep up with you. I just, 
I can't. He says, you just need to go on without me. I'll meet you there. At the end. I'll be there at some point, maybe after dark, but I'm coming, you know. And, and he looked at me, and he says, well, David, he says, why don't you just set goals? I said, what? He said, just set goals. Just don't look, you know, don't look at the end. Just pick out a tree or a boulder up ahead, and just when you get there, set another goal. And I said, well, there's two things about what you just said. One is, that's exactly what I need to do. And the second thing is, you never need to tell me anything like that again, you little young whippersnapper. I don't need to be told by you to set goals. And No. You know, I think so many times we look at that which we're wrestling with and concerning sin as being something we have to, you know, we, we just have to get to perfection today. Not remembering that we have a, a Savior named Jesus who is very patient with us. And, and I, I believe the desire for Him is that we would make steps forward day by day, making steps forward toward His holiness and His righteousness. I don't, I don't ever see in Scripture these expectations that the day we come to know Jesus that we should somehow become perfect in our life. But the pursuit of perfection is what I see Jesus calling us to. And it's because of His reckless love that He will come after us when we find ourselves in sin. It's because of His reckless love for us that He comes after us and He encourages us to turn away from the things of this world and to gaze our eyes on a holy and righteous God instead. And so how do we do it? How do we overcome? We take it day by day. Day by day. Pursue God, pursue God, pursue God. Reject the things of this world. Pursue God, pursue God. Reject the things of this world. And day by day, we are sanctified by the Spirit of God. And we are set apart more holy and holy day by day. Until one day we come to that place where we realize glorification instead of sanctification. we are given a new body and we are without sin and we are glorious in his presence for an eternity day after day we struggle day after day we pray day after day we pursue Jesus I'm going to close with a prayer by Augustine he once wrote years and years ago and I can't think of a better way for us to, to close than this Augustine's prayer says this he's praying to God and he says Lord for tomorrow and its needs I do not pray keep me my God from stain of sin just for today let me be kind in word and deed just for today let me be slow to do my will, prompt to obey. Help me to sacrifice myself just for today. And if today my tide of life should ebb away, give me thy strength divine, sweet Lord, today. So for tomorrow and its needs I do not pray, but keep me 
and guide me and love me, Lord, just for today. Our walk with Christ is just that. It's a walk with Jesus. And He came that we may be holy. In just a moment, our band's going to come out and our pastors will be down here. And if you want to come to this altar and pray and just offer thanksgiving to God for everything He's accomplished in your life. If you want to come and pray that God would help you with the sin in your life. There's not one in this room with this, that is without it. Not one, including me. And we as believers in Christ Jesus have to constantly remind ourselves that day by day, we walk with this, the one who is greater than all. We sang of his name earlier. His name is Jesus.